This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey guys, it's Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. Please go to the website, sign up for the newsletter, and get access to the analysis spreadsheets. And I just threw in a whole bunch of new financial spreadsheets to uh, do a different analysis on amortization schedules and payoff schedules and to compare different things that you can do financially. Um, you know, a lot of you guys are playing around with HELOCs these days with seller's market and, and not very many deals out there and taking advantage of these good HELOC promotional rates from banks. But today I have on the line Mark Ferguson. Overwhelmed by the amount of stuff is on Simple Passive Cashflow? Don't know where the heck to start? Go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash start to sign up or text the word SIMPLE to 314-665-1767 for the curated course to get you up to speed on the past two years of content. Again, join the free web course, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow. Go to simplepassivecashflow backslash start or text the word SIMPLE to 314-665-1767. How's it going, Mark? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. So if you guys haven't heard Mark's before, he has a podcast also, Invest for More. He's the dude that drives that blue Lamborghini. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) So Mark, how much simple passive cash are you making today and how are you doing it? Well, it's tough because from just rental properties, I probably have about 7,000 a month coming in, you know, as of course, after all expenses, I have property managers and that's off about 15 properties, all local in Northern Colorado. Um, I also have some other, you know, I love passive income, but I haven't been able to buy as many rentals lately because our market's just gone insane and rents aren't keeping up with values around here. So I kind of, you know, I have a blog, I have the podcast, I have some books I've written, which also produce passive income. But that's kind of a, a different category than the real estate side. So yeah, I'm around 7,000 just from real estate. And I'm always looking to add to that and kind of looking at different markets and different ways to increase that right now. So Denver market is sort of, I call it um, in that area between, you know, a lot of us are in the West Coast markets where you just can't get cash flow, the more appreciation markets. And it's not quite the, the secondary boring markets that we like to pick up these out-of-state rentals you know, like the Birmingham's, the Atlanta's, the Kansas cities, Denver, I, I see as more of a hybrid play, but yeah, I mean, just where we are with the seller's market, I mean, it's, it's harder and harder to find deals that cash flow and make sense these days. Yeah. I mean, Denver, you know, I'm in Greeley, which is 50 miles North of Denver. We had not a crazy housing crash like California, or Arizona, but definitely prices decreased. And I bought a bunch of properties, 80,000 to $150,000 range. And they'd rent for $1,200 to $1,500 a month, which was great. And our taxes are super low here. I mean, in those properties, I pay like five or $700 a year on taxes. But those same properties now are $250,000 to $280,000. And they rent for $1,500 to $1,700 a month. So, you know, we've kind of run to that same problem where the rents aren't high enough to make the purchase price work. And I'm in one of the lower price markets in Colorado in Greeley, Denver, you know, you're paying well over 300,000 for entry level homes right now. So it makes it really tough to cash flow. So one of the, the things I look at or, or start for um, class B housing or class B minus housing to get more specific is going 80% of the medium 
home price. What's the median home price out there in Denver these days or Greeley? Um, Greeley, the median price is two eighty-five. Denver, it is over four hundred thousand. So that's a really good metric. I love that. That's kind of what I did with my properties as well. And you know, yeah, like that. You know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars house right now in Greeley is going to rent for maybe fifteen hundred a month, and it, it's just tough to make that work. All right. So definitely you've got to do a little bit of legwork to find those uh, diamonds in a rough. So how are you doing that in, in your local area? Well, I haven't really bought a single family rental property since September of 2015 in my market. I've actually bought a little commercial shop and uh, I have two other commercial properties under contract as well that have much better numbers. I've also been flipping a lot of houses instead of buying more rentals. I've invested my money into the flipping business and grown that. But um, right now I'm really looking at different markets to buy rentals in. I'm exploring those right now, looking at a couple turnkey companies, but you know, there's ups and downs to using them versus, you know, finding your own property with your own agent and team to do it out of state. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just starting to see, you know, working with a turnkey provider that is just not a many meat on the bone. And a lot of the, um, you know, I mean, if you look at the loop track, a lot of these these major U.S. cities have this highway system around a major city. And now the properties that you were buying inside the loop, they're definitely outside the loop and a lot far, further out from the city. And instead of buying a 1980s property, now you're looking at 1950s, 1960s. I don't know if that's what you've been seeing or what's the reason for not just taking the plunge and going out of state? Um, no, it's funny you say that because actually my last rental I bought, you know, I had this criteria of, I want, you know, 1970s or newer houses in certain neighborhoods. And the last, last rental I bought was built in like 1902. I'm like, wait a second. I need to re, I need to look at my strategy. I'm really shying away from what, you know, my core business model was. So yeah, I mean, um, after looking at that property, I'm like, I need to sit down and rethink about what I'm buying and stop caving into just what's available. Yeah. I mean, take that money and just buying properties out of state. I think there's just, you know, I, I took a trip to Florida to look at properties out there. Um, I really liked what was going on and um, the markets and the rent to value ratios. But at the same time, you know, you've got to find an agent, a contractor, a property manager, and there's a lot of work involved in doing that. And at that time, my flipping business just took off. So um, I thought, well, you know, it's okay to wait a little bit and, and work on the flipping and see what happens in my market. Things did not settle down in my market at all. They've just kept going up and up and up. And right now I'm a little happier. I didn't buy anything in Florida with the hurricanes, but you know, I'm sure there's, there's ways to, to, um, you know, protect yourself, but still, um, I've looked at Milwaukee, I have family in Iowa. So, I mean, really the reason I didn't buy rentals is because the flipping was going so well. I didn't force myself to really go out there and do it, which I probably should have because I, I want more rentals. And right now I'm really looking at, I'm like, you know, I just, I have to buy more rentals. I need to figure out a market, just go do it. So right now kind of the plan is, I think I might buy one with a turnkey company and then one of my own and kind of compare the process and go through how it works. Of course, talk about that on my podcast and blog and everything, but just for my own personal reasons as well, just to see the difference, the time involved and the results you get. Right, right. I mean, you buy some of these properties out of state, it's not really worth it to just buy one. You've got to buy a few of them since you same phone calls at the same property management at the end of the day. You know, I've, I've been thinking that, you know, hey, I got this podcast and haven't been buying properties, but <laughs> you're probably in the same same boat. But like, you know, talking with these providers out there, 
that's a lot, that's what they're doing these days. There's, it just makes more sense to go flip a property instead of to turnkey, but to flip a property to retail, because I mean, that's where the frenzy is at these days. And that's uh that makes total sense. I mean, that's your highest and best use. And we talk about that all the time. Like, you know, what's, what's your highest and best use. And for you, it's the flipping of houses and totally is the play in this market. Right. And um, you know, it, it's tough with the turnkeys cause there's, I know there's some good companies out there. There's also some bad companies, but they're in business to make money and you can't fault them for that. And you know, when they're finding a tenant, they're finding property managers, they're repairing properties, they want a premium for it. One of the biggest things I've always wanted to do when I invest is get a really good deal. I think that's, you know, one of the number one advantages of real estate is be able to buy a property for less than it's actually worth. And you just, it's really hard to do that with a turnkey. You know, they have, there's no reason why they should because they're providing you with all these other things. So yeah, and, and with the market going crazy, flipping has done very well, but there's always, once you flip a house, you don't make any more money off it. So, and it's, and it's more of a job than investing really. It's a lot of work. So there's still that, you still want to invest for the future in somehow in some way with rentals. So anyway, uh, you're kind of hedging yourself for the future while you're doing the flipping. I mean, the, the problem with flipping is it's kind of like a game of musical chairs, right? I mean, if the market corrects, now you're kind of stuck with a big property that you can't really sell for what you thought. Um, yeah, you know, I've been flipping since 2001. So it isn't something where I just started right away. I actually was flipping before I bought rentals. I was also a real estate agent. And after accumulating quite a bit of money from the flipping and selling houses as an agent, I started buying rentals and really investing in them. And I started all that in 2001. So before, during, after the crash, um, I was still flipping houses. And the thing you have to be careful of, obviously, what is just, I never bet on appreciation. You know, I never assume a house I buy is going to be worth more than it is right now. And I've always made sure I had plenty of profit room so that something does go wrong you know, whether it's repairs or holding time or the market, you can still get out of it. You can still sell it. And we have always dealt in kind of the lower priced flips. There's a lot of, you know, demand there. Even if the market's going down, even if things change a little bit, there's always pretty good demand for the entry level homes, the nice houses that are affordable. Um, I've done a few high end flips, but really I think that's where you see your big risk in a changing market is the expensive flips, properties over 500000 depending on your market. Maybe it's over a million dollars, you know, where your median price is. But when you get into those properties, I think people don't have to always move in the high end, where in the low end, there's a lot of people who want to buy a house no matter what the market's doing. All right. A lot kind of dangerous there when, uh, you know, you've got such a big property and the, the market turns, that's where your discretionary money runs away from. Yes. I've interviewed a lot of flippers on my podcast who had some really bad experiences and it seems like almost all of them were doing the high end flips. I can see why they're attracted to them because you make a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars on one deal, but um, you can also lose a whole lot of money on those deals as well. So they're pretty risky. All the kids these days are investing in the latest fad like tech or cryptocurrency. If I had learned anything these past few years watching the wealthy is that they invest in the most boring stuff and the basic commodities. What is more of a necessity than coffee? To learn more about this boring investment, check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash coffee. All right. So we'll start getting down these question lists. Our second question is, what is your Han Solo moment? So for those of you who don't know, uh, Han Solo and his buddy Chewbacca from Star Wars were cruising around the galaxy as a smugglers, but then crossed paths with Luke and Leia and their life took a pivot point. 
So Mark, describe a time in your life where you uh, took a pivot and what was the resistance that was the catalyst for the change? You know, one thing I was, I started working with my father right out of college. I got a degree in finance, couldn't find a good finance job. So I became a part-time agent, which turned into a full-time agent. And, um, you know, five years into the business, I was doing okay, but not making a whole lot of money. And at that point, I was very self-sufficient. I didn't want help from anybody. I did not do any self-help, you know, type books or listen to any CDs or anything. I thought I could do it all myself. And eventually I got to the point where I was so frustrated and I, I kind of blamed everything on other people. I know I wasn't getting a good enough cut or I wasn't getting enough leads or reasons why I wasn't making the money. And I kind of wrote out an accidental plan on why my life was so unfair and why things weren't working out right to give to my dad. And in doing that, I kind of accidentally wrote out a bunch of goals, like saying, you know, for me to make $100,000 a year, it's just crazy. I'd have to sell all these houses. And after writing that out, it's kind of like, well, why don't I just sell all those houses instead of stop, stop complaining and whining about it? And uh, that's kind of an accidental catalyst that really got me to thinking, okay, I can't rely on other people to make my life better. I have to do it myself. So that kind of set, you know, the ball rolling for doing some goals just thinking different about my work and career. And from that point forward, things just did a 180, got into the REO business, selling foreclosures for banks. And um, it's just a crazy change that was a complete accident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, most times people who are not successful, they're usually blaming their their non-success on other people. And they, unless you take uh, take the reins and take account, be accountable to yourself and nothing really changes. And it makes... Uh, makes total sense and everybody nods their heads when they're listening but it's hard to uh, take perspective and look at yourself i mean the blind spots that we have are you never see them yep exactly it is tough and i think you know trying to do everything on your own was one of the biggest mistakes i made because i had no one my father would help me out a little bit but he's all about selling houses and doing an occasional flip i wasn't really listening to him anyway so um but yeah if you can you know listen to people around you you know masterminds whatever just groups of friends who you're willing to listen to and help you out with it it makes a huge difference did you go, get any coaches that kind of go in initially with that or um you see you, your your blind spots you know what i did is i started buying some coaching products for agents is what I did. REO agents, foreclosures, things like that, which really helped a ton. And I joined a, a group, which was the NRBA, the National REO Brokers Association. That group was an incredible help to me. And I went to a conference, you know, my first, I'd gone to a few real estate conferences before and always been like, oh, this is a joke, whatever. I'm not learning anything because I've had such a bad attitude. But um, I went to that, you know, conference by myself, had no one else to rely on. I had to go out there, talk to people. And it was a fantastic experience just learning from them. There were agents, you know, making half a million dollars a year at that group. And I was just kind of in awe, like, oh man, I don't belong here. But um, is just, they kind of talked to me. They could tell I was nervous. They took me under their wing, helped me out. And uh, it was just a life changer going to that conference. And along the way, I also did coaching with like Jack Canfield, just for my attitude, goal setting. Yeah. From that point forward, I just, you know, I tried to get as much help and develop myself as much as I could. Okay, excellent. So next question, worst life or business moment, what did you do after? What was the lesson learned? Uh, yeah, that was probably around 2006 or seven in that range. And I decided the best use of my time would be to fix and flip a house and do all the manual labor on it myself. So I thought, oh, I'm going to save all this money on labor. 
I'm going to, you know, make all so much more money because I'm spending my time painting and replacing windows. I replaced the kitchen, replaced doors. I did flooring. I painted everything. I replaced bathroom fixtures. And it was the stupidest thing I ever did. <laughs> One, I wasn't a contractor. I had some experience doing that type of work, but I wasn't a professional contractor. So the work was not good. It wasn't as high quality as it should have been. Two, it took me at least three or four times longer than it would have taken someone else. So I had carrying costs, property taxes, insurance, um, utilities to pay that whole time, which pretty much ate away any extra money I, I made by doing it myself. And then the opportunity cost was huge. You know, I was not looking for other flips. I was not selling houses as an agent. I was spending all my time working on that house. And it was super stressful for my girlfriend at the time who became my wife. And it was just, I learned I'm never doing manual labor on a house again. My time is worth so much more than that. Finding deals, doing high level things, hire out whatever you can to help with the labor, the busy work, all of that. So that I took that on, not just for manual labor, but in my business as well, you know, property management for any task that I can hire out and I can spend my time on higher level things. I do now. Yeah, that's uh, I call it CEF, cheap, easy, and free. Beware of that. And you know, a lot of guys will, you know, they'll go to read some internet forums on bigger pockets and read a couple of books, and then they'll go and buy a turnkey house from a provider and just get totally screwed because they're like, "Oh, I bought the sixty thousand dollar house that rents for eight hundred. I'm like, "Okay, go ahead and do that, bro. Like, you'll be <laughs> fine, right? Like, <laughs> you know everything." Until you've bought a few houses, I mean, I'd say you're in that first stage of learning and you just don't know what you don't know. Until you know what you don't know, that's really uh, when you should not buy or that's really when you should buy, I think. But when you're in that stage, you don't know what you don't know. And that's how I bought my first few properties. And now I know I paid at least a few grand more than I should have on every single one of those properties, whether it was priced or missing things in negotiation throughout the inspection. Go with a mentor, go with somebody who knows how to do it talk to more investors. <laughs> Cheap, easy, and free, right, Mark? Yep, exactly. And, and there's always things you can learn. You know, I'm still learning things now, which is the cool thing about real estate is it no deals ever the same. So that's for sure. <laughs> so currently, current two-week experiment and a six-month project that you're working on. Two-week experiment. I'm always setting small goals, big goals, medium goals. Kind of my two-week experiment right now is we hired a new agent who um, is going to be an agent slash someone that helps my blog and podcast. So on our age, you know, I have a real estate team now with, uh, we have 10 people on it, administrative assistants, my project manager for my flips, a contract manager, a couple of real estate agents, a team manager. And um, in the past, we've always hired kind of real estate agents just as agents to sell. And lately we've been hiring people who can sell and help with the team, like marketing or contracts, whatever. So we just hired someone who's going to help with my blog and replying to my emails and taking care of more of that busy work. So that's more than a two week experiment. We just started it and I'm just kind of sending, having him respond to emails for me, which is really hard for me to do and <laughs> let go of, but um, you know, I'm not letting him, I'm not giving away all of it right now, but just a few of them. So that's kind of the short term goal. See how that goes. And um, as far as six month projects, I'm buying a commercial rental now that's, oh, was it 7,000 square feet? It's vacant. I've got to go in there, fix it up a little bit, get it rented. And the plan is to kind of use private money to buy it now and then fix it up, get it rented, and then refinance it with longer term financing. So 
that'll be at least a six month project. That's kind of a big one. I've never done something like this before with commercial. So uh, I've uh, partnered with someone who does com some commercial stuff and uh, trying to learn as much as I can about the business. So those are the short term and the long term going on. They're biggest for me right now. Good. So you've got an investor focused podcast. How's that in getting leads for the agent side of your business? It does help. I mean, we have a lot of leads, a lot of investors who ask us to help them buy rentals. The biggest problem is our market doesn't work well for rentals right now. So, um, you know, it worked really well a few, you know, I just started a few years ago and at the beginning we did have some investment properties around, but it still does provide leads. There are people still looking to invest in the area, maybe not primarily for cash flow, but for some appreciation or just they feel it's a solid place to put their money. I think Justin, my team manager is working with someone now who's doing a 1031 exchange from selling a bunch of mineral rights into buying two properties and they want to be in this area. They know the area. And I, that was from my podcast. So there are definite leads coming in and I've actually hired agents even who found me from my podcast or, or the blog. Right. Cause there's still a lot of people out there that think that investing is possibly buying a primary residence or especially where you live. You know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what investing is uh, I asked this question on my Facebook page the other day, like, what are some good uh, markets out there for rentals? You know, what are some good areas? And, and people would reply back with, well, New Jersey's got really, things are up and coming or something. <laughs> Not even New Jersey, but whatever it was. I'm like, okay, well, what are the prices versus rents there? I'm like, well, I don't know that. I just know the economy is, you know, they don't even know the basics of what you know, right. investing is. The Raiders are going in Las Vegas. Or... Right. Yes. It's like, well, it must be good here because our economy is doing well. That doesn't, you know, <laughs> but, um, and, and, and the thing, the primary residence thing, I think there's actually opportunity there for the right person who has little money and, and wants to be an investor, but you know, it's not something where you're going to live in the house for 20 years and it's going to be a good investment. It's something where you're going to buy it as a primary residence, maybe live there a year or two, end up selling it or renting it out and then moving on. Because, I mean, there's some pretty nice tax advantages to uh, owner-occupied properties when you sell them after two years and that you don't pay any income taxes. So there are some ways with that to, to get off the ground too. All right. I guess the reason I ask is a lot of the Simple Passive Cash Flow listeners, although they're passive, they have a real estate agent license <laughs> go figure <laughs> so I, I call this concept the lazy uh, agent where they're not actively marketing but you know they, they talk about the you know the out-of-state rentals they do and this stuff and people they, they start to get a name from themselves and they're like well I need my house to be so can you do that for me and they can do that and they're kind of doing it on the side as a lazy agent and they could pick up, you know, nice little paydays here and there. And I don't know, is it, have you seen the trickle from that just because you're in the industry and talking what you do and people trust you after uh, so many podcasts finally? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do get, yes, those people who want to work with us in the area. And then there's a lot of investors too who see my success as an agent and investor and want to get their license, you know, help others as well with their license. But it's a lot of work to be a successful agent. <laughs> like you said, if it's, um, if you want to make a career out of it, you've really got to go at it full time and full bore and focus all your energy on it. It's not something that's easy to make a lot of money on part time. Um, if you want to, if you just need it for the deal here or there to make a little bit of extra cash, it might work. Then you also have to think about, Hey, am I really, do I have the best interests of my clients in mind if I don't have much time to spend on marketing or helping them out or if I'm not available most of the day because I have another job. 
Um, so there's a lot that goes into being an agent and working part-time and helping out people. I, I get a lot of people that ask me, hey, when should I get my license? When's it advantageous? And I always tell them, well, if you want it to be a career, you know, you want to actually sell houses and make money at it, do it right now. But if you're just an investor and you want it to help your investing, at least buy a couple houses first. Make sure you like the business. And if you're buying a house or two a year, it probably makes sense to get your license if you have the time for it, if you're not swamped with other things going on in your life. One of the first things I looked into getting away from Wall Street were the many crowdfunding sites out there. But I just was not into paying another middleman to give me a false sense of security and then take a chunk of the profits from the operator and me, the investor. Check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash lend or text the word money to 314-665-1767. These lending opportunities are exclusive to Simple Passive Cashflow listeners to power operators I trust and will put my brand on the line with. Again, for more information, check out simplepassivecashflow.com backslash lend or text money to 314-665-1767. So what is your simple passive cash flow number that you're shooting for? And imagine you had two times the amount. Describe your ideal day, detailed routine, and what projects you'd be working on at that point. Um, oh, my cash flow number is always changing. So <laughs> I wrote out a, a plan a few years ago that I wanted 100 single family rental properties. And um, you know, I posted it on my, my blog, my site, and I've tried to update it. And I want to do that by 2023. I'm way behind on it because I, I haven't been buying rentals because of our market. But I always kind of wanted to have a hundred thousand dollars a month in passive income coming in. So I've always wanted to have big goals, big dreams. And um, I figured with that much money, I could do almost anything that I wanted at the time. But then of course you probably experienced this too, where the more money you make, the more passive income you have, the more freedom you have, you realize how many more things there are out there to do in your life and how many more things you want. So it's a, it's a constantly changing number, but I think that hundred thousand would definitely be, allow me to do quite a bit of things. As you know, I'm a huge car guy and I like um, expensive, exotic, older cars, which are very you know pricey right now in today's car market. So that makes it tough to uh, put those dreams into action when things are so expensive. That number would help. Obviously doubling that number would help it even more. <laughs> Some of you know, my dream car is a Lamborghini Mira, which is from the sixties and seventies. And that car is over a million dollars right now. So <laughs> that's a, a pricey, asset that's for sure <laughs> what'd you what'd you get um you, you did grab a, a blue one right yes i have a, a 99 lamborghini diablo i bought in 2013 and i kind of made a deal with myself where if i made enough money because you can finance those cars actually a lot of people don't realize it i have a 12-year loan on that car at like five percent interest rate so it's almost like a mortgage and I, I made a deal with myself where i once i had enough passive income a certain amount from the blog and from my rentals i'd be comfortable buying that car. It's kind of like 10 properties is what my, my number was. And so I bought that car for 126,000 in 2013. And, um, today it's worth like 250,000. So it's been nice on that front, the appreciation. And then I also just bought a Lotus Esprit a couple of months ago too, which is a much more affordable car, but I think those have upside and value as well. So it's not just real estate you can invest in, although I never buy cars to make money because I have a hard time selling them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever refinance those things then? Um, equity? You could. I never have personally, but yeah, I imagine you could if you really wanted to. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a really interesting business. 
like the Lamborghini Countach, which is another one of my dream cars, like five years ago, you can buy them for a hundred thousand and now they're 400,000. It's crazy what some of those will do. I like what you did. I mean, a lot of people will, their first inclination to kind of shake their head, right? Like here you are growing a real estate empire and you're taking a lot of the seed capital and going essentially blowing it on a car. But I mean, I kind of did the same thing on the last place I lived. I mean, I, I was, you know, I sold my house to put into, um, you know, multifamily syndications and get going with that. But, and then I had to look for an apartment to live in. And I was like, well, all I need is like a one bedroom or two bedroom. And I was like, no, I'm going to get something really nice because <laughs> you know, whatever you put yourself, situation you put yourself in, you will expand your, your means. And if you're living in a crappy apartment, you're going to kind of, that's how you're going to uh, conduct yourself. I don't know if that's what you're thinking at the time, but it doesn't make sense. But it, it, then again, it totally does. Yeah, no, it's a tricky situation. I, I, I know what you're talking about because when I was not doing as well with an agent, I, I love cars. Like Lamborghinis were my favorite car since I was like, three years old. <laughs> so my whole life, I'd loved them. I had had these goals to buy them even through college. And then I got in the real world. I'm like, I'm not making any money. I, it's just stupid to ever think I'll have a car like that. That's for other people. And it not only kind of was a downer for myself, but it, it made me less successful thinking that way. You know, you just get the wrong mindset. And once I started changing my mindset and making goals, I'm like, why am I telling myself I can't do this? I'm giving myself no chance at all if I say that. But if I at least try you know, I'm going to be a lot happier trying and not getting it than just giving up and never knowing what happened. So two fronts to, to buying a car like that, like one is like, man, how much money, you know, how many more rentals could I buy with that cash? You know, how much more passive income could I make? But then it's also a dream of mine and how much happiness I've gotten from that car is, you know, you can't really put a price on that. And it's also helped my business. It's helped, you know, people, I've made other people happy by taking it to car shows and giving them rides in it and talking to them about it. Um, networking has been a huge <laughs> factor for having that car. It's actually helped my business more than it probably cost me. So it's, it's not only a dream and making yourself happy and trying to figure out a, a balance between, okay, how much do I save and invest versus how much do I use to make my own self happy is also motivation too, where it's like, okay, if I buy 10 properties and I can have this car or something, you know, set yourself goals, to motivate yourself can be a huge way to increase your, you know, your success. All right. A lot of people, they, they won't have any motivation buying themselves stuff, but like they're to getting their spouse on board, they'll, they'll say, okay, we're making $2,000 of passive cash flow. You know, they'll just go and blow a thousand of it, you know, six months worth and buy their spouse something nice or go on vacation or something like that. And when I bought my car, it was, it kind of changed my mindset in like, Hey, this is not how these, people act, you know, they, they're not on eBay selling off little knickknacks or doing, spending their time doing that. How, how have you seen after you bought that car, your, your mindset change? What are some things you maybe started doing or didn't do? Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing was, it was weird because I went to a car dealership in Dallas and they had a, a Diablo there and I started talking to the dealer and he's like, yeah, you know, you can finance these for 12 years. And I had no idea at the time I like went into shock. I had this idea in my head, you know, oh, I can get this Lamborghini, you know, it'll be like five years out, whatever. And it wasn't real. But when he said that, it like became real. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh crap, what's everybody going to think of me? They're going to think I'm just some giant jerk with a Lamborghini and I'm going to, everyone's going to hate me. And <laughs> so it was kind of like a, another obstacle I had to get over is just learning to accept that it was a dream. It was okay. Um, some people like you, not everybody will like you. you. You have to realize that. But along the way, 
just changing my day, you know, the way I think. It's weird how much it changed how I viewed myself and became more honest with myself. I don't know how to exactly put that into words, but before you kind of put this persona up of what you think you should be or who you should be based on society or what other people tell you, you know, being really frugal is in right now, not spending money on anything, saving all your money. There's just a lot of that. But at the same time, it's like, that wasn't me. And um, just viewing myself as like, okay, I really like some expensive things like cars. That's okay. You shouldn't be changing what you really like or feel based on society. You should really let yourself be true about what you enjoy, what you like. You know, fancy clothes are not my thing. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt to work usually most days or a polo. But just being true to myself on what I really love. I love houses. I love cars. And just not letting society tell me what to do. That was one thing that car really helped me out with. Right, right. Let the people drink their haterade and, and put <laughs> exactly. their own. <laughs> what is something that you recently bought or thought about burning your cash on for time savings or an improvement in quality of life? Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before. I'm just a huge proponent of, of saving time. And, you know, if there are things I can hire out, I will do it in a heartbeat. I hired someone to help with my blog, not only just the agent who's doing um, email stuff, some other tasks, but we hired someone to work on SEO and experiments and other things that not only is he better at it than me, but he's more time efficient, frees up my time to do other stuff. So I'm always about trying to hand off, look at my life, see what's taking all my time, what I can hire out or have other people in my staff do and give myself more time. So yeah, spending time to hire someone to do my email, work on the things for the site, property management. I've always had property management in place, you know, well, not always, but after I bought seven properties, that was a huge time savings thing. And um, it's just, uh, it's tough to do. It's tough to let go of a lot of that stuff. But every time I do it, every time I hire someone, every time I give someone else a task, I'm so much happier because they have more time to do it than me, which means they actually do a better job of it. So it's done better and it gives me more time. I know you guys have really good SEO there. I mean, your, your blog articles that you're putting out. Yeah, very. I mean, that SEO, it's one of those long-term things that you have to build up over time and Google won't rank you unless you, uh, you're in there and constantly putting out content. Probably, you're probably one of the better guys doing that, I think. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing in the beginning. Just so you, like, that was kind of, I, didn't, I hadn't written an article since college and then um, kind of like, well, what could I do? What kind of business could I start? Because I'm always looking for new ideas and fun things to do. And Justin on my team's like, why is there a blog? I'm like, a blog? Like, I'm not a tech savvy guy. Like, I, I'm like, I don't know how to do that. He's like, I'll set it up for you. You just have to write stuff. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> we just started writing and I had no clue what I was doing. And I don't know if it's how it took off so well, but it did. And uh, now it's kind of at the point where it's like, okay, we're doing really well. How can we improve it? How can we level up with things? And um, that's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's something you recently changed your mind on. I'm always changing my mind on different things, on way to do things. Um, one thing we've done in the flipping business is we've always kind of hired contractors in the past, gotten a bid, had them do the work, keep track of them, all of that, which is probably our biggest headache is getting contractors to do the work on time and on budget. Lately, this last year, I started hiring my own handyman. So I have three guys who are full-time employees for me who work on my houses. I'm looking to double that pretty much in the next year at least. 
And it's just been so much nicer to have complete control of what they're doing. It's cheaper because I'm, they're always working for me. I'm paying them by the hour. That's just been really good change in our business is hiring our own people. I just wish I had more really good people to hire, which is a, a difficult process. But yeah, just having my own people instead of deal, rely on contractors has been awesome. Uh, next question is a new question I put in here for listeners. It's a, uh, so in this seller's market, what are you investing in, Mark? What should somebody who does not have substantial level of cash flow yet be investing in? Um, Bitcoin. No, I have no idea about Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's tough because, you know, it's hard. you want to invest, you want to create cash flow, but you also don't want to force an investment that doesn't work. And that's kind of what I found myself doing when I was buying rentals here was I was forcing the investments, I was buying older properties, um, different neighborhoods, different cash flow than what I had before in the past. And so I think you have to look at if your market's good for rentals, you know, if it's not, if the numbers aren't there, you know, like you've said before, look out of state, look at different opportunities, look um, where maybe you have friends or family or, or you, you're familiar with areas. You know, I, I like to tell people to start there first. You know, if you have someone in Milwaukee, wherever it is, and they've lived there forever and they're a good friend, you know, they can really help you out on deciding about a market, what good neighborhoods are, where if you're starting from scratch, you're just relying on people you don't know. So if you can't buy, you know, rentals in your area, obviously I think rentals are one of the best investments out there. Look in other areas. Um, you can look at different sectors in your own market. Like I've looked at commercial. I've looked at multifamily, which is not any better than single family here. But if you're just starting out, you don't have a lot of cash flow. You could look at just different markets or in your own market, how to get a really good deal. Maybe you're buying way below market and you can make a little bit of money, but you've got the upside of selling or, or things taking off in the future. But um, yeah, it, I would just say, be careful in the seller's market that you're not forcing an investment just to buy something. So the last question here is the uh, Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we continually struggling to gain perfection at. The first is the art of fulfillment and the second is the science of achievement. So if you died tomorrow and I would email this to your kids a couple of decades later, what would they hear? What is your secret or hack to the first science of achievement? What are your secret habits or morning, nighttime rituals, et cetera? You know, I try and do, I've tried to be a morning person. I've tried to get up early. It doesn't work well, but I do have, you know, I try to do my nighttime ritual instead. I've got a home office. I'll go down there. I'll kind of, I have a journal where I'll write, you know, what happened today, what I was thankful for, just kind of try and, you know, meditate a little bit, calm myself down, especially if I've had a stressful day, you know, and you're anxious, you know, just relaxing and turning everything off and just, you know, trying to calm yourself is really helps out try and review my goals every day, you know, look at what my short-term, long-term goals are and just remind myself, don't just get stuck with busy work all the time. You know, you have long-term goals, you have some short-term goals. Are you really doing, you know, taking action that is getting you close to those goals or are you just treading water, not getting anywhere? So I think everyone, I, almost every successful person I talk to does the same thing. They set goals, they take time for themselves, they review things. And they work a lot on themselves, not just on their business. So I think, yeah, uh, the secret I tell my kids is make sure you take that time out for yourself. Even when you're busy, even if you have kids, even if it seems like you don't have time, that time is just super important for you. One thing I, I stenciled across my office wall was conquer the resistance, which was a quote from Stephen Pressfield's book, The uh, War of Art, which is just, you know, 
when things are getting tough, when things seem the hardest to finish a project, that's when you've got to push through and, and work your hardest because you're close to something really big. So uh, that's one of my favorite quotes. All right. And his other book is the Turning Pro book. And it's all about you ask someone, oh, hey, you told me you're going to do this and, you know, make these kinds of changes to your business. But inevitably it doesn't happen. And it's like WTF, right? Like what <laughs> happens? It's the resistance with the capital R. It's all these little things that got in the way what you said yes to that you're implicitly saying no to and, and all the little decisions that you're making. Yep. There's a lot that goes in our, in our heads that we don't realize. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so you do the, the evening after everybody goes to sleep. Is that your yeah, time? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, my, my kids will be asleep, but my wife will still be up and I'll just go down and um, I, I'll do it in the evening and that works better for me than the morning. All right. So you're not, you're not stressed out about all the business that needs to get done throughout the day or you're snacking on it with your your cell phone trying to get that done before the evening block window no i you know that's another thing i learned along especially in, when i did the jack canfield coaching it was a really cool program it was just uh to reduce my stress and worrying you know i mean there's always stuff i want to do i always have a huge list of things i want to accomplish but i don't stress about it i'm not worried about it I think of it as opportunity to make things better and increase them. But at the same time, you know, it's like I have to be very thankful and realize in the moment that I'm very fortunate. Things have gone very well for me up to this point and not getting a couple things done or a couple things going wrong is not going to ruin me. So there's no use in worrying about it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I always try to have the attitude of do as much as you can make one big change every day or accomplish something every day, but don't stress about the stuff that you can't get done. Right. Right. Like, cause I've, I've been, you know, I still work the day job and I've been trying to do just a couple hours a day or a few hours a day and a block on the weekends is what I've been trying to set up for. I don't you're It's a little different for you because this is a full-time business and you're never going to get every single image or article SEO optimized or do every little thing. But um, I mean, is that, that that's just simple as that you just don't worry and try and get little things done yeah i mean it's, a, it's you're constantly trying to improve but if you try to fix everything at once you're going to drive yourself crazy so right. it's kind of like you know i have this long list of th things i want to do and sometimes i look at them like oh my god i'm losing all these opportunities i could have had all this money it's like wait a second i've already accomplished all of this we're already at this point where things are going really well don't stress about it not just one thing off the list today and you're better off than you were before. And I've always found that slow, steady improvements have worked much better for me than big, giant leaps anyway. The, the big, giant leaps never seem to go as well as planned or come with more risks. And the, and the slow improvements, kind of like the passive income is building over time more and more and more, seems to have more longevity to it and more substance and it's worked better for me. And Mark, what is your seeker hack to the art fulfillment? How do you contribute back? You know, when I first wrote my first blog article and someone commented and said, wow, this was really helpful. Thank you so much. Like, it was so weird. I wasn't expecting it, but I felt so good about myself. I'm like, holy cow, I helped someone. This is so weird because <laughs> it was just, it was really eye-opening to see that, hey, I can, you know, share my knowledge, just share what I'm doing and it will help other people and they could be more successful at life. So the blog has been a great way to give back, to give help to do the podcast, to just share my knowledge, not just mine, but um, other people's as well. I mean, I've learned so much myself from other investors I've interviewed or when I'm doing research on articles, learning other things. 
but you know, obviously that's not all, you know, I do, but that's been, that was, that's really one of the most fulfilling things I can do. And a lot of times when I'm writing, thinking of a subject or thinking of something I can write about or talk about, it's like, okay, what would help people the most right now? You know, trying to put myself in their shoes, what would help them out? Not what would make me the most money. And usually a lot of times the things that help out other people the most will end up making you money anymore because there's, they're more interested in that. But that's really helpful. I'm also very involved in the local food bank, in different you know, charities. We did a book giveaway for the you know, Houston hurricane. Now there's a Florida hurricane. So I, I just try and um, give myself, show other people I'm giving. Hopefully that helps them give as well. I have kind of a nice platform where I can make a difference now. And the blog in combination with my own work, I think is, is something that is a pretty cool effect. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I totally get you on the whole, um, you know, you get these email, these nice emails from folks and they're like, oh, I, hey, I picked up this one thing you were talking about or you got me started. You two guys didn't sound too impressive and I thought I could do it too. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um, well, if you can do this, we can too. Thank right. you. No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's touching emails, I guess. It's, I didn't expect that either. No, it's really, it was a cool feeling. It's like, I wasn't, you know, I thought, oh, maybe I'll help some people. That'd be great. And then you actually see it happen. It's like, oh, wow, that was a lot more touching than you think it would be. <laughs> right. Or yeah, my wife doesn't have to go to work now. She can just kind of stay at home and I just got to pick up a few more rentals. That's the only thing. Right. But that's, that's, that's pretty powerful stuff. But. Yeah. Yeah. If you can see, you know, there's been a few people who have quit their jobs and gone to full-time real estate. And they've said that I helped them do that. And when you see something like that, it's like, wow, that's not just a small thing. That's life changing right there. So that's pretty cool to see. Mark, anything we missed? I want to get your contact information out there for anybody to get a hold of you. Um, Yeah, no, I think we went over most everything. Um, I had a lot of fun. It was a great show. Best way to reach me is my site, investformore.com, which is invest, F-O-U-R-M-O-R-E.com. Uh, the Invest More Real Estate podcast. We do a weekly show. And then if you want to email me, mark at investformore.com. Like I was saying before, up to this point, I responded to every single email myself. I still do respond to a lot of them, but I kind of filter, have them filtered out a little bit now from with some help from the people trying to sell me stuff and different things. Yeah, no, I, I love talking to people, hearing from people. We have something like 450 free articles on the site and we're up to 117 podcast episodes now or something. So it's a lot of content out there. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. You're one of the podcasts I listen to. I mean, I like how, although you guys are doing like more of the active side of real estate, I like how you guys still know and essentially believe in rental real estate is the way to build wealth. And that's what you should be putting your free cash into once you get it. Yeah. Nope. I'm, I'm a big believer in rentals. That's why I started the whole blog in the first place, but um, you don't always know what's going to happen in your market or the future. So you have to adapt and change. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the nice thing about flipping is it's created a lot of income. I've been able to put that back into the business. So when I do find the right properties, the right market, whatever, I'll be able to uh, go into it pretty heavily. All right, Mark. Well, appreciate coming on the line. Oh, thank you. Had a great time. Appreciate you having me and uh, we'll get you on my podcast here soon. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you later, guys. Bye. (laughs) 
This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.